0: My name is Judy Laramie, and it is my joy to read scripture for for you this morning. The passage is Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see you as always. We are so glad that you have joined us in worship this morning. My name is Dave Hahn, and I'm one of the pastors here at Disciples Church. And it is my privilege today to be able to open God's word with and for you. When Jesus walked the earth, 90% or so of the population made their living off the land. Grapes, olives, grains, sheep goats fish things like that as such when jesus would tell a story or a parable or relate to somebody they were often centered around topics and ideas that his listeners would understand because they were so enveloped in it it involved the animals that they raised and caught and tended to as well as the crops that they planted cared for and harvested But by way of comparison, in 2021, only about 10% of our population was associated with the agricultural or food industry. So, if Jesus were to be here today and tell parables, they would sound a little different than the way that they sounded 2,000 years ago. Not that we cannot or do not understand the agricultural and fishing references that are made in the New Testament. Certainly, God's word transcends time and culture, and it is the Spirit of God who gives revelation, but I do think that our understanding of some of these references might not be in as much depth as those that Jesus spoke to and that Paul wrote to. So in today's passage, we see Paul using the terms sow, S-O-W, and reap. Not only in an earthly sense, but primarily in a spiritual one. So outside of scripture references or widely used idioms like you reap what you sow, the words reap and sow, no matter the context, are not very common in most of our vocabularies. Who uses words like that? still, as we read it, we get the gist of what it is that is being said, which is certain actions produce expected results. Certain actions produce expected results. You reap what you sow. And while we, as Christians, are saved from the eternal consequences of sowing in the flesh, we are not necessarily saved from the earthly consequences. As one pastor put it, a Christian who gets into a fight can still get his teeth knocked out. So as we work through this text today, listen for these action words and what they produce. And then consider the actions of your own life and what they have reaped or will reap if you continue to live as you have, because what we do with the life that we have been given matters. What we do with the life that we have been given matters, especially if our life is Christ's life. Verse six of today's text begins with a passage that honestly seems on the surface to be a little out of place. It's one of those verses that some pastors would prefer not to preach on. You will notice that Jonathan is not here today. I'm just kidding. He is not here today, but that's not why. (laughs) Uh, Verse 6 reads, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So after reading this verse, one could easily come to the conclusion that Paul is instructing Christians to pay their pastors. It would not be unusual at all for Paul to do so as he addresses that very idea quite specifically in 1 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 5 if you want to look at those later. Biblically speaking, some kind of financial support for those that God has called to be pastors is expected in a way. Both Jonathan and I are incredibly blessed to be among those who are called and cared for in that way. Incredibly blessed. But looking at this verse, verse 6 in context, it really doesn't make a lot of sense that Paul would suddenly shift gears from where he has been. Rather, Paul is likely talking about loving one another and helping to bear one another's burdens, as he did in the verses that we looked at last week, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. Or he is talking about sowing and reaping, as he does throughout the remainder of today's passage in verses 7 through 10. Sowing specifically with what? All the good things that God has given you. So, those are earthly things and those are spiritual things. And then reaping the benefits that come from having sown. That's what Paul is talking about. So, here's what I mean if there is a teacher or a pastor who has particularly blessed you, and you take the time to honor them, thank them, encourage them, and bless them, that's sowing and that it is likely, having done so, that they will continue to teach the word and to pastor you and to pastor others. That is the reaping. Through giving and sharing the good things that we have been given with those who teach God's word to us, we are helping to plant the seeds of the gospel that these teachers and pastors in part proclaim. Seeds that will ultimately yield an eternal harvest according to God who causes the seeds to grow. And as we dig further in today's passage, we come to realize that it is not the teacher or the pastor who is the primary beneficiary, but it is the one who gives. Because after all, it is he who sows that reaps. It is he who sows that reaps my friends, we we simply cannot underestimate how important it is to have teachers and proclaimers of God's word in our lives. We cannot underestimate that. The salvation of God in Christ came to me and likely came to all of you through one or several people who are willing to boldly and faithfully proclaim and teach God's word to us. Now, certainly, God is able to save however he chooses, and it is he alone who saves and transforms the lost. But the primary means through which God draws people to Jesus, saves them from sin and death, and then transforms them into the image of his Son, and then builds his church, is through the faithful proclamation of his word. That is the primary means through which he does all of that. And we know that God uses lots of different men and women in many different contexts with many different styles to cause his word to be proclaimed. Some with the title of pastor and some without. Some who make their living proclaiming God's word and some who do not. Some in front of large groups and some in front of just a small few. But know this, each one is highly valued in the kingdom of God. And in God's manifold wisdom, people are getting saved and they are being transformed in settings not at all like this one. But do you know what is common amidst the differences? The Word of God. The Word of God. Where the word of God is read and sung and spoken and preached, hearts and lives are changed. Where the word of God goes forth, people are either drawn closer to Christ because of it, or they are further repelled from him. Hearts are either softened or they are hardened, but nobody stays the same upon the proclamation of God's word. No one stays the same. You will not be the same after today. So if you find a teacher or a pastor that God has used to save and bless you, honor them and bless them and be generous to them. Sow into them so that you and others might reap even more of the same kind of spiritual harvest that you have already received in part. That's what Paul is getting at in verse six. Now let's look at the next two verses, seven and eight read. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible repeatedly warns us not to be deceived. Do you know that 39 times in 37 different New Testament verses, the Bible uses the Greek word for deception or error? Including, by the way, just four verses earlier in this same chapter, if you go back four verses from where we are. And what that means is we must have a propensity for deception and that there are incredible consequences for having been so. Otherwise, we'd not be warned as often as we are. I don't know, my friends, if there is anything more dangerous than thinking that you're right when you're wrong, especially if you're talking about God. As we've seen in Galatians throughout this book, we can be deceived by others. Certainly that's one form of deception, but we can also deceive ourselves. And one of the ways we deceive ourselves, according to verses seven and eight, is by believing that we can mock God and get away with it. Do not be deceived, Paul says in verse seven. God is not mocked. Or to put it another way, Don't think that you can fool the omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent creator of the universe. To follow Paul's sowing and reaping metaphor that he gives in verse 8, it would be like planting a sour patch kid in the earth and expecting an apple tree. It's not going to happen. And it's foolish to think so. In the same way, we cannot... Sow to the flesh, ignoring God, and then expect to reap eternal life. God will simply not bestow blessing where judgment is deserved. These two verses, my friends, are really a call back to the end of chapter 5, where Paul made distinctions between what our flesh produces and what God's spirit produces. Because when we sow into our flesh, according to chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we get sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that's not great. But, but... When we sow into our spirit according to chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And that is great. And by unrepentantly And unapologetically and habitually sowing into our flesh, we mock God by minimizing the death of his son. In that, we are living for what Christ died for. Remember, my friends, the entire context of this letter to the Galatians is that those who came to faith in Christ by the Spirit of God were now seeking to find their righteousness in the law and their self-driven efforts, and that we mock God when we live according to the flesh and the law's demands, rather than through faith in the Spirit, We mock God when we live as though we don't need him and all that his son Jesus did on our behalf. We mock him. Saying unto God essentially, I don't need you to save me. I don't need you to save me. I'm a good person. I don't need you to fulfill me and to give my life meaning. I'll find all of that stuff on my own here. I don't need your transforming power. I can, I can fix myself if I just buckle down. And when we live this way, my friends, we are looking into the face of our crucified risen Savior and saying, you should have just stayed home. Isn't that what we're saying? Mocking the perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrected life of God's Son, If he went through all of that, and we could save ourselves, fix ourselves, and find meaning on our own, why did he go through all of that? There is nothing more offensive to God than looking into the face of Christ in and through our lives and saying, you could have just stayed home because I got it. So practically speaking, What does it look like to sow in the flesh versus into the spirit? It's a vague idea. So what does that look like? Well, there's a lot to it, but pastor and theologian John Stott said it this way, and I think it's helpful. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, or wallow in self-pity, among other things, we are sowing to the flesh. So, my friends, what are we harboring, nursing, entertaining, or wallowing in? My friends, if it's, if it's not Jesus Christ, it can only be our flesh. But if it is Jesus Christ, meaning that our lives are filled with thoughts, words, desires, and activities that stir our affections for Christ, causing us to know him and love him and reflect him more perfectly we can be confident that it is the spirit we are sowing into. So what fills your thoughts? What fills your words? What fills your days? What are you sowing, spiritually speaking? It's a good question to ask. Are you in God's word? Do you speak to God in prayer? Do you spend time listening to him? And being quiet and still with him. Are you in gospel community with other believers? Or are you walking alone? Are you loving and serving those that God has put around you, wherever you are? Because all of these things and more are spiritual seeds that will reap an eternal harvest in Christ. Friends, do you realize that wherever we are today as it relates to our walk with Christ, it is largely because of the seeds that we have sown? We are where we are today because of the seeds that we have sown. Whether we are growing in Christ, stagnating in our faith, or regressing. We have either put in or we have avoided what is necessary to be formed more fully into the image of Christ. So if you have been admittedly lazy in your walk with Jesus or you are simply unsure of where to start, please know that it is never too late to begin sowing different seeds than the ones that you have been sowing and it is never too late to sow more of the seeds that you have already been sowing. All you need to do is ask God to lead you, start small if necessary, and then trust him for the increase. He is faithful. Know this too, whatever it is that we intend to reap as an eternal harvest in Christ requires sowing spiritual seeds today. Whatever it is that we intend to reap as an eternal harvest in Christ requires that we sow spiritual seeds today. We've all been given two options, my friends, to walk in the Spirit and reap the fruit of the Spirit or to walk in the flesh and reap the fruit of the flesh. To make this life about us or to make this life about God. Unbelievers have no choice but to sow into themselves. It's all that sinful man wants to do because he is a slave to sin. But as we have said multiple times in this series, those who are in Christ, those who are in the Spirit, have been set free from sin and from death. Not so that we can do what we want to do, which is sowing into the flesh, but to do what we were made to do, which is sowing into the Spirit. I think the concept of sowing and reaping is an interesting one if you think about it from an earthly perspective. If a man plants a single seed, he does not get back another seed. Rather, he gets the fruit of that seed with even more seeds inside that fruit. If a person plants a single seed, he also does not get back one piece of fruit. Rather, he gets Dozens or hundreds of pieces of fruit in return. And so it is with those who sow in the flesh and with those who sow in the spirit. The return on the harvest is always far greater than what was initially sown. So if you're sowing into the flesh, be warned. Be warned. If you are not there already, you are going to come to hate and regret all that you reap as a result of having poured into yourself. But, if you are sowing into the Spirit, rejoice. Rejoice. Because life abundant here on earth and life eternal in heaven is and will be yours. Now, To be clear, Scripture here is not talking about spiritual karma when it talks about sowing and reaping. It's not talking about spiritual karma where we receive good for doing good and we receive bad for doing bad. And by the way, thank God it doesn't work that way. Thank God it doesn't work that way. Because if it did, most of us would not like what we got in return. Simply because we're not nearly as good as we think we are. And we are far more wicked than we like to admit. Friends, we all need the grace of God in order to receive the good that we do not deserve, and the mercy of God in order to avoid the bad things that we do deserve. So, Charles Spurgeon told a story called The Carrot and the Horse that reminded me of this idea. It says, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, "'My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you.' The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this and said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. So, my friends, if and when we sow into the Spirit with what God has given us in His grace, whether it be the smallest of carrots, Or the biggest of horses, whether it be a large number of small seeds or a small number of big seeds, let our hearts and our intentions be pure with God's glory, not our selfish gain as the primary goal. Let's finish up with verses 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as we've seen throughout this letter, Paul had real concern for the spiritual lives of Galatian believers who were being deceived by the false teaching of the Judaizers, and losing their desire to keep in step with the Spirit by turning inward turning unto themselves at the expense of those that God had put around them. And God promises, whether in this life, the life to come, or both, to reward those who do good unto others in due season. In due season, my friends, means when and how God sees fit when and how God sees fit. So we do not and ought not lose heart in doing good, regardless of whether or not we see the fruit that is born of it, regardless of whether or not people are grateful for it, because the harvest is coming. The harvest of God is coming. And the good that we are to do, according to these verses, is unto everyone. And the word everyone is important because it reminds us that with God, there is no partiality. With human beings, there is all kinds of preference and partiality, but not with God. And because there is no partiality with God, there ought not be partiality among Christians, among those whom God has made. Regardless, by the way, of ethnic, national, cultural, social, sexual, political, or religious differences. There are no caveats on do good to everyone. In Luke 6, actually, Jesus said that we get no credit. No credit for loving those who are inherently lovable. It's easy to love people who are lovable. Why should you get any credit? And we also don't get any credit for loving or doing good unto those who also love and do good unto us. But isn't that how we live? Rather, the Bible says, a true indication of Christ's indwelling spirit is loving and doing good unto those who have not and would not do the same unto you. Well, that's hard, Dave. I can't do that. No, you're right. You cannot. Neither can I. But Christ in us can, will, and does do that. It is Christ in us that is our hope. And he will do so in and through us as he gives us opportunity. That's what verse 10 says, right? I mean, the fact is opportunities abound while we are here on earth, both small opportunities and big ones. There are opportunities in our homes, unto those who we live with, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, the stores that we visit, and the places that we play. There are always opportunities to do good. So how can we know then if what we are doing is good? Simply put, If what we are doing is for someone else's benefit and not our own, it's good. If what it is that you are doing is for someone else's benefit and not your own, you have done good. And the reason that we love and serve and do good is because God in Christ has first loved us, has first served us, and has first done good unto us. It begins with Christ, Christ doing unto us, and then Christ doing unto others through us. All we have to do is ask God to open our eyes, to see the opportunities that he has put in front of us and around us, and then say unto him, whatever you would have me say or do, I am available for you to say and do through me. Whatever you would have me say or do, I am available for you to do and say that through me. Would you be bold enough to ask God to do that to you this week? As Jonathan laid out last week, what it is that God wants to do and say through you might be and likely will be a little different than what he says or does through someone else. So don't worry about what other people are doing. You do what he tells you to do. You say what he tells you to say. In that, he will do it and say it through you. Now, Paul finishes verse 10 by putting a finer point on who is included within the term everyone, placing a particular emphasis on those who share our faith. Your brothers and sisters, even by the way, just like it is with the world, if they too are tough to love. And they can be, and they will be. Disciples Church, to love and do good unto non-believers is to woo people into the family of God. But to love and to do good unto fellow believers is to be the family of God. You are either wooing people into the family of God or you are being the family of God when you do good. If we live by the Spirit according to chapter 5, verse 16, if we are led by the Spirit according to verse 5, chapter 5, verse 18, keep in step with the Spirit according to chapter 5, verse 25, and so to the Spirit according to chapter 6, verse 8, we will see the fruit of the Spirit made manifest in us we will love our neighbors, we will do good unto everyone, and we will faithfully share all good things with those who have instructed us to do so. But these things cannot and will not be accomplished through the works of the law or through the works of your flesh. You will not and cannot accomplish it on your own. Only through reliance upon the Spirit of God. It is his spirit that produces these things and more in us. We simply have to surrender to, trust in, and abide in him. And then we will discover that the fruit the spirit produces will be born in us. To abide in him is to allow his life to flow in and through us and then produce the fruit that he intends to be produced in us. It is not our effort. It is his spirit. The spirit produces, we bear. As we discussed earlier, the Bible often warns us of deception and the consequences of having been so. Therefore, I think it is a worthwhile thing to ask ourselves, am I trusting his spirit in me to do and say what I cannot? Or am I trusting in my own perceived ability to do and say those things? Are you bearing the weight and the responsibility? Or are you trusting God to do it and in through you? My friends, if we are in Christ we find our greatest joy and confidence in knowing that 2000 years ago on a roman cross jesus reaped all that we have sown in the flesh jesus reaped all that we have sown in the flesh and in an incredible exchange we have reaped are reaping and will reap all that he has sown in the spirit we've sown in the flesh and he reaped. He sowed in the Spirit, and we reaped. We have received in full what we did not deserve, the forgiveness of sin and life eternal with God, because he absorbed in full all that we did deserve, death and hell and separation from God. And if we are in Christ, our eternities are ever secure in him. But... How we grow and what we reap in the here and now is deeply connected to what we are sowing today. Now, for those within the sound of my voice who are not in Christ, do not be deceived. The days of God's grace, mercy, and patience for you and all of those who sow in the flesh are not without end. They are not without end. There is a final judgment coming, whether it be when you leave this life and stand before him or on the day of his triumphant return. The story is told of a farmer in a midwestern state who had a strong disdain for religious things. As he plowed his field on Sunday morning, he would shake his fist at the church people who passed by on their way to worship. October came along, and the farmer had his finest crop ever, the best in the entire country. When the harvest was complete, he placed an advertisement in the local paper, which belittled the Christians for their faith in God. Near the end of his diatribe, he wrote, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. The response from the Christians in the community was quiet and polite. In the next edition of the town paper, a small ad appeared and it read simply, God does not settle his accounts in October. God does not settle his accounts in October. My friends, God will not be deceived and he will not be mocked. And the Bible serves this warning unto those who unapologetically, unrepentantly, and without faith in Christ, sow into the flesh, but expect the Spirit. Regardless of how well things work out for you in this life. God doesn't settle his accounts in the here and the now. So as we close Listen to John 12, verses 23 through 25. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So God's call to this world and to you is this. Let the seed of your life in the flesh fall into the ground and die that you might gain eternal life and reap a spiritual harvest in Christ. We have to let our fleshly lives go into the ground and die in order to reap an eternal harvest in Christ. Disciples Church, this is the message that God has given to us that we might not be deceived, that we might not lose heart. And it is also the message that we have been given in Christ to a lost and broken and dying world. That's the message. So may we plant the seeds of his gospel and trust that God, by his Spirit, will cause them to grow in us and to all of those that we encounter. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that this world and our flesh has an extraordinary pull on us and that we have sown into our own destruction. But in Christ, you have rescued us. You have remade us and have promised us that the harvest we reap would be according to the seeds Jesus has sown on our behalf. Help us today to live in with and for him, doing good unto all, even as ultimate good has been done unto us by Jesus. Father, keep us from deception and from mocking you. Instead, would you let us live in truth and worship you in all things be glorified in us until the day when you gather us as your own eternal harvest and the sower and the reaper rejoice together. In Jesus' name we pray and we ask these things. Amen.